What's up? Today I had John Rogue, the owner of Floatlight, back on the show. This was virtual April 24th, 2020. What's up, friends? What's up, friends? We're back. But why not? Which I'm not going to say live, of course, but, um, you just made it under the, you just made it under the tripwire. Oh, I, I was live on that one. No, I just sent it. So we're live. What's up everybody. Got John, the alchemical transmutist of float light. And I just upgraded to motherfucking zoom pro. <laughs> Are you really live? Yeah, we're live. Yeah, so uh, a big notification came over my screen that said, congratulations, your host is the boss and just upgraded to unlimited minutes. And I'm like, wham. Okay, so I'm going to check this out on Facebook, but John, why don't you, why don't you tell us how Float Light as a local business, we'll start with that angle has uh has approached the covid situation and um i think we should just we'll start there and and we'll see where we go okay i'm just i'm i'm sharing the post to two different locations and i just did that now so thank you all right i'm gonna start by just kind of showing some folks out there that that's listening to the show what we've done and in some of the, in, in explaining in a little bit of detail about what measures we've taken to remain open and to be able to do this safely for both the guests and the staff here at Flowlight. So just one moment. <laughs> As John's preparing his mask, we are preparing to hopefully do more of these Zoom call live shows. Um, I'm thinking about doing more than one a week because they're fun and I don't have to edit them. And the point of the show, but why not, is uh, as John said right before we went live, he's like, why aren't we live? He's like, isn't this show called But Why Not? But really we want to give a voice to real people in Northeast Wisconsin that maybe have some crazy ideas or some cool ideas or some very valuable ideas um, and have them share them with you in this format. So, John, what's up? Without a doubt. Now, I was telling everybody I needed to prepare. That's because, as you can see, and I'm never gonna get used to this, um, you know, there's a, a kind of a learning curve to wearing a face mask, but we took it upon ourselves. All the staff here at Float Light have our own branded face masks. We make these because why not? Because why not? Exactly. I roll. I appreciate the plug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, so you know, obviously wearing wearing a face mask is going to protect our guests here at Float Light. It's also going to protect um, us from you know all the different kind of concerns out there. Your glasses will get steamed up. That's a thing you have to deal with. But and sometimes you have to talk a little bit louder, so it might be harder to hear me. But this is one measure that we've taken, um, and. I'm going to take it off now because I'm actually in a private room. I'm inside of the front office. I don't usually come in here, but this seems like a good location. 
See, normally when I do live shows, I'm actually live, but in this case, you're live. Cool. This is a new new way of doing it. So yeah, you're live. You're just not in person. <laughs> right. Okay. So what happened was the whole thing went down. There was some on and off about what exactly was happening. It was it was almost like a huge blur was occurring, and we did make the final decision that we would close, and we called reservations canceled. Um, Jesse and I we actually took it upon ourselves from. 8 a.m. till 6, sometimes 7, every single day after that. And and we're not getting paid. We're just coming to work, just doing this. We did like a the ultimate spring cleaning. Like you would not even understand. If you came here, Evan, and you've seen uh, you know the studio on the back, you've seen all the different locations, everything's organized. Everything that has like a blue label or a blue tote with a label on it, Jesse and I have organized created a section for it and a, and a method and a system. And then we went through the entire float center, of course, and just completely sanitized the entire facility. Um, I cleaned the floors, did all these different things. After all that was done, we felt good about it. Um, of course, we spent some time with the family, which was necessary because Jesse and I, we work a lot. Um, Daniel and Megan at the time, um, of course, they were um, essentially furloughed because we're not like getting rid of anybody everybody's coming back the full way including the guests but um we started to develop a strategy of how we can operate safely for our guests now flow light operates as an auxiliary health facility um and people come here for legitimate needs we've had guests who have frequented us 75 to 100 times now and they use it for true medical needs so uh, we wanted to make sure that we could still be able to satisfy those guests. We had insurance companies who are also paying us for our, or, or compensating our services for those guests on a weekly basis. We want to make sure we maintain that. So we created a mitigation strategy which essentially prevents folks from running into one another. So we have a staggered schedule. No one guest will interact or even see another guest at the same time here at Floatlight. So they come in, you do your float, everything is completely sanitized. You know, we have one of the most advanced filtration systems in the world. Uh, the float suites themselves are just the cleanest places you can be. That's a guarantee. Uh, the facility, we do contact tracing about before and after everyone's done leaving. We cover the facility and, um, and most importantly, the facility is not open to the public. Um, people can book a reservation with us by reservation only, but if they were to come here, uh, there's a there's essentially a quarantine zone here at Floatlight. We have a double door vestibule, so a big glass box. You have to open the outside door. You step inside. There's some information. Um, of course, the basic protocol. We want you to be safe. We want to know if you've been in contact with anything, or you have been confirmed, or any of your family members. And then, after reading that, you'll sign a waiver. Uh, it's like a petition waiver, and you'll use some hand sanitizer, ring the button, and then we'll let you in the facility itself. Um, doing it this way makes us not a public gathering space because CA Flowlight, there's no more than, at maximum, there could never be more than five people here one time. Um, and normally there's only two. Uh, that's the float guide and the guest, and they are completely isolated. I mean, flotation therapy, sensory deprivation is like isolation from isolation. It really is like the ultimate form of getting away from everything. So we opened up. Last Friday, uh, we've been, you know, even with the mitigated schedule, we have less reservations we can take, but we're okay. You know, we, we have three hours uh, for each guest in individual blocks. So there's, you know, that's hour and a half before, hour and a half after. And um, 
Uh, we're taking this very, very seriously. And um, we're happy that we're able to get the folks in that, that, that need to float. And then, of course, some that want to. You know, this is a great way to get away uh, from a lot of what's going on in the world. And, you know, your mental health is so important. And I think that people are really starting to see that right now. You know, and it doesn't yeah. have to be necessarily coming here. Take care of yourselves, folks. Like, go outside. Don't sit in the house all day. You're going to go crazy. Yeah, now, now more so than ever, um, there's been, like, an implemented silence, which is, like yeah you just never take the time for that inner silence regularly and uh it's kind of been forced and it's interesting obviously because you still have to choose it or you still have to like carve out some time but um yeah i think a lot of people especially at the beginning i don't maybe not as much now but a lot of people i think we're looking inward which i think is a a really good thing Uh, i did want to comment on um the approach of as soon as this hit just like shutting down and cleaning everything and reorganizing everything um that was an immediate thing um you know sometimes we joke about it and i think it's it's a common trope a lot of people are like i have ocd you know do you really you don't really know what that really is but like i'm using it as a general sense like we are I'm the type of person that generally and, and realistically and, and, and honestly, like I get anxiety when things are not clean. And I'm not talking about clean, like, oh, there's some dirt on the floor because somebody was doing some landscaping. I'm talking like if I see something in my frame of view that's like just out of place, doesn't look right, it actually causes me to like zone in on that. And I can't stop thinking about it for the entire day. And sometimes to the point where it ails me. And I think that Jesse and I were exactly the same in that regard. Like we just zone into these things and we just need to get them done. Um, So when we heard about this whole thing happening, we just started thinking through our head, like, well, we already, you know, prior to this, we've maintained strict procedural regulations, you know, and, and how we operate, like everything really didn't change. It actually stayed the same. It's just, now we're talking about like exactly what we already do um and uh and we were like well we want to make sure that we're following all the state uh the state and federal guidelines um and we needed to ensure that we were in fact able to operate so once we got the go ahead we were able to do this um i mean by the nature of our business we have we don't have public people coming into the store you know there's not more than one person coming in at any given time but, you know, we took it upon ourselves to make sure that we went above and beyond, even even though we didn't know for sure if we were able to open. Because we knew as soon as all this was done, it would just make us feel better. You know how it feels like you yeah. have a messy garage and all of a sudden in the spring, you're like, I'm going to do spring cleaning. And then all of a sudden you start getting into all these projects like, well, I could rearrange this corner and just stack stuff on top of each other. Or I could construct and build myself a whole shelf system. And that's kind of like the way I thought about it because... You know, I was building stuff, I was constructing things, improving systems, building and and fixing things I never got a chance to fix and and improve. And and that's kind of how the process went down. Yeah. This is while looking and observing at the entire world. And and I made a lot of unique observations. I think that, you know, I, I don't know what other businesses have done. I know a lot of people are struggling out there and I feel for them for sure. But I, I've been an advocate about taking this opportunity this opportunity where if you were busy, 
you usually said, man, I can never get anything done because we're so busy. And I said that all the time. I'm not going to be a hypocrite and be like, well, I could have taken that time or I could have taken the time, but I decided I was just going to not take that time. Instead, I decided I'm not going to do anything then because everyone else was shut down. That's Instead, just and I was like, we're just going to come in. We're going to do the things that we say that we never had time to do. So that when we're done with this, we'd be like, well, we, we took advantage of that opportunity. You know, 100%. So I was going to say, I think the fact that you two went in to, to do the things you'd been thinking about doing when you could do nothing, that's almost like a mentality or a mindset that I think um, is really important for any business in terms of like how to push through this. Because I think some, you know, everyone got punched in the mouth, um, basically. And some people got right back up. Some people have a strong jaw and it didn't even phase them. And some people are still laying on the ground, you know, and, yeah. uh, good analogy. And I'll tell you why some people got punched in the jaw and they got laid out. They're on the ground and they could stand back up, but they're waiting for the medical personnel to come and take them on a gurney to the hospital. Some people got knocked onto the ground and maybe they're phased for a bit and they're like, I'm just going to rest here for a few moments, maybe a little bit longer than normal. And then they get back up. And then some people, just like you said, they get knocked out. They get back up because they're like, I'm going to spring back into action. Of course, there are businesses out there that really weren't phased by this. I mean, obviously some are benefiting from it, mm-hmm. but I'll tell you this. I was, I was making the kind of correlation to like, evolution in the sense that business in general is not the type of thing you go into and expect anyone to say if if there is i don't care what the disaster is insurance don't expect insurance to pay anything don't expect the government or anyone to save you even if it wasn't your fault so you have to be proactive. You have to, you know, you have to take it upon yourself to be able to adapt. It is in a way the survival of the fittest when it comes to successfully operating and especially getting through that, I would say that five year mark. I mean, Flowlight's been in business for two years um, and we're not going anywhere. You know, Jesse and I are dead set on, we will find a way. I even said, if, if we're never allowed to operate again, we will find a way to do something. And Flowlight is more, and I was just telling you this earlier, Flowlight's more than just a float center. I mean, we're, we're like a production studio, a fabrication shop, clothing. We make our own clothes in a lot of ways, not like sewing or anything, but like we do our own heat press transfer. That's how we did these masks here, you know? You know, and, and it's not, no particular reason why we branded them. It's just, we thought it was kind of cool because we had all these tiny little, uh, uh, it's called stretch litho, really easy to press. Uh, Transfer Express, really great company, by the way. Um, but anyhow, and, uh, you know, and, and of course, we have our whole social media, you know, platform, the Float Family. And we're going to find a way to utilize one of those aspects of our business to do something. I even made the mention, like, maybe we could, maybe we could create, and I mean, we don't have a huge workforce, so I don't think it was reasonable, but it was more like ambitious. Maybe we could create personal protection gear, you know, like for, for medical staff, 
you know, I don't know what our capabilities of doing that were, but it was just a thought. Like, what could we do to help contribute, to make, to be relevant in this time? And if you think about economics and you think about business in general, that's truly what business is. You're trying to find, you, you, there's a problem, you need to find, you need to help others find the solution and then they will, um, and then you will become relevant in that time and era. Yeah, you know? it's essentially what humanity is, is like, or at least the belonging part of humanity, which I think um, we're discovering more and more through science that like that purpose is important, which is without a doubt my Instagram bio. <laughs> but uh, importance is important. What? No purpose. Oh, purpose is important. But basically finding yourself to be not just something that takes from a system, but that is uh, inextricably required for the benefit of that system. Like basically right. to embed yourself in it to the point where the system is better off with you than without you. And that's oh. like, I think that's where economics is going. Oh yeah, for sure. And I'll, I'll say this too, like when it comes to, um, when it comes to people, you know, flow light and, and what we do, Daniel, Megan, Jesse, myself, we're in the people business. Like, and, and, and I just, you know, it's kind of ironic because this morning I had a guest, her name's Stephanie. She came in, she got some kombucha. Um, I was talking to her. We were talking about the current events, of course, you know, how could you not? And I said, I said, we're people helping or we're humans helping human beings we're not a business that's what i said and she's like she actually said to me she's like you should post that and i'm like really i should and she's like yeah post it on full and then i did and and she's like yeah just calling out you know noticing you know signs of genius she thought that that was very inspirational and i actually agreed like i'm like yeah it's true like i don't look at at what we do as a business, I look at or, or what we represent. I almost feel like Daniel, myself, Megan, Jesse, Floatlight is all one. Like we're we're one thing. We're not like human being. I'm not me. I'm actually us. You know, it's weird. It's hard to explain, but we we are us. The community is truly what matters to us, and we will do everything we can to make sure that that community pulls through and and survives this this whole ordeal and we will as, as weird as it sounds i think maybe without having the language to describe it there's let's just say a certain percentage maybe it's 30 maybe it's 60 percent of businesses that operate in that way that you just offered which is you know putting the community first and um caring about the actual people in it over the transactions that come from it, you know? And interesting, interestingly enough, you were, before we went live, you were talking about business when, when uh, outside stresses happen or stress tests kind of like this um, or really any recession or depression or um, big human disturbance, I guess. Um, a survival like survival is comes back into play because stress you know has the ability to destroy things whether it's a cell or a you know an organ or a human or an animal whatever 
but it seems like this could be a stress test for maybe that idea. It seems like a lot of the businesses who are making it through are, are probably healthy in two regards. They're probably financially healthy in terms of, um, you know, cash flow, maybe not even cash flow, but just, um, having a basic understanding of that. But then the next level up is how important is that business to its environment? And that's kind of what you were touching on, which is we see ourselves as a, an important part of the community and our building our own community and helping the people in it. And I think it, it seems like at least, um, and maybe it's posturing on social media. I don't know. But it seems like a lot of the businesses who are thriving through this had either done that, like did that ahead of time and then didn't stop. They ramped it up during this whole situation. And what I mean, to be more specific, I mean, helping the community, collaborating more, being community players and all of a sudden opportunities are kind of coming to those. I think so. Um, I I think that. I think that there is that there is kind of a fear that exists, especially, I mean, with us in particular, like, you know, public, public relations, what do people, what do people perceive float light as, um, if we were to, let's say full on open, which we did, uh, we have a very particular mitigation strategies in play, uh, safety, uh, procedures, um, to ensure that at, perfect 100% nothing is going to come as a result of us operating. Now, I understand that certain businesses, they're just not going to be able to, to do anything about it during this time. But I don't think that waiting for something to happen or waiting for, you know, let's say a check to come in the mail that's going to save you through this time is the right thing to do. I think that you should be like scrambling to find a way to be relevant. Yeah, exactly. Or connect, or connect with the people who believed in you because those people are going to be the ones who, at the end of the day, won't, will not let you fail. They will not. You've become so integrated. It's almost like you hear about how the big banks are so big they have to be bailed out. You could. I know that, that at the macro level, but you could create your own reality where that is true on a micro level too. Like, think about it. You are so important to these specific people that in your world and their world, you cannot fail because they have that level of respect for you. You have that level of respect for them and you will continue to survive. Now I know that realistically that might not be true, but like going through this with that mentality, is going to get you a hundred percent farther along the way than if you didn't. And, and I think that, uh, and I've been an advocate for just like, we're going to get through this. And I mean, obviously those are just words, but like there is a silver lining here. Yeah. That, that silver lining does exist. I, I've heard it from, I think it was coach Steve Jones on, on your video that you posted. It was Jesse and I, uh, reiterated that uh, a couple others. And, 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 and we didn't communicate about what we were going to say. I think that people actually do see the silver lining. And like you just mentioned before, it's almost like, and I call it the thinning. It sounds bad, but like the thinning, which it's almost like, this is the truth. Now everything shuts down. Wh- who is going to survive this? Who's going to become relevant at the end of the day? And, you know, I know it's a little bit depressing to think about because maybe some people out there are like, well, 
is it too late no it's not too late i think i think of it almost as like well i i I do want to put out a caveat like it i mean it is a lot of destruction or whatever and like it's going to be hard no matter what whether it's just that inactivity is causing you know businesses to have to close or whether it's you know gonna be death because we don't really know how this thing's gonna continue to go um that is true and 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 not to and not to be you know and that's not like obviously there is real things that are happening in the world that is an absolute fact but that doesn't necessarily mean that I mean, I guess, yeah, if, if you suffer a personal loss, that is going to be a huge hit. But I'll tell you this. It, we will get through this. We just will. I mean, even though you suffer that personal loss, it doesn't mean that everything in your world has to completely break down and collapse. Yeah. A lot of folks that come to Float Light that, that deal with tragedy in their life, and they don't tell us, but they deal with it. And part of the process they're coming here for is because the float tank can induce deep uh meditation theta state type thought processes deep thought that almost like subconscious thought that you would never be able to address in an outside world you know it's only when you're when you're really looking in and um and like being able to to come to terms with that and progress because you have to look at the other way. Like, where else could you go? You, you're gonna go backwards still. You can continue just to to go deeper and deeper into the hole. And everyone, you know, we're all in this together. You know, there's some people that might not be as into it as others, but well, yeah. I've I've been listening. I mean, there's so much content around this out there right now. But like, there's a TED talk with Ray Dalio, who is uh, like billionaire investor i think he owned like a huge investment firm like one of the biggest in the world and the language he was using is so like it's so collective and it's just it's this situation almost like it almost feels like we forgot how to have real conversation or like the mainstream forgot to have real conversation and now we're all having real conversation again and it's because of the fact of like constraints you know constraints have led us to the point where we have to have real conversations about how what you know some people get stuff and some people don't and um and it was just fascinating to hear this this billionaire talk on a zoom call ted talk about these topics which is like essentially he was putting out there things like rethinking capitalism as a whole you know what i mean um and that's vague and he left it vague because he wasn't claiming to have the answers but just and he said i'm a capitalist but we have to actually answer some of these very human questions especially during this time um and yeah it it essentially comes down to 
you can't have too much literally what he said it, it comes down to and i agree 100 percent, is how we treat each other through this and that goes back to what we talked about with community being community um making yourself uh more relevant to the environment you live in whether that's economic whether that's survival health humanity um but yeah it's just it'll be it'll be interesting to see um i don't think ego can can exist in that environment when you're starting to talk about how do the lines get you know redrawn or or what's this new foundation we're gonna lay our next uh house on absolutely I, i i believe and i've always believed this that the humble personality the humble perspective is is what in the end, it doesn't necessarily win the race. It's just acknowledged as the as the more ideal, like archetype of what it means to just be a human being, like a humble type perspective. Because there's so much to learn in the world, and there's so much to gain from learning. And um, and I, you know it's a learning experience so you know just like anything else there is something to gain here and we will gain it so i I don't want everyone to i don't want everyone that's listening to think that to turn because that's all they ever hear this conversation they've heard this conversation well okay let's let's go to a new conversation so um kind of along those lines of like let's rethink capitalism or blah 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 like um, if we are in a great time of, of reconsideration, if you will, uh, how, how, what do you, I guess, what do you think about the whole new normal? Cause sometimes I hear that and I kind of get it. And sometimes I'm like, I don't know. Like, what are you well, saying? I'm ready to adapt, man. Like, you know, uh, adapt, adapting is just part of life. You know, you just have to, and I'm okay. I don't know what that means exactly, though. What is the new normal? Does that mean we're going to be on Zoom calls for now on? Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. I think, I think when people say it, um, when and I just say people, that's way too general. I think when, um, mostly in a professional context, when I hear it said, I think. It seems to me, and maybe this is like a reflection of me and it's not what the people mean, but what I picture when someone says the, like the normal we return to will not be the same as before, kind of like, I, I think they mean less human interaction, like literally we have to set aside a new cultural like design to where we normal we no longer require to be as close to people as often because these epidemic viruses may be a new like globalistic thing that's just so consistent that we basically have to be isolated that's what i picture when they say that when i actually think about it realistically i think it's way more profound than that and it's way less um way less negative or or pessimistic um i don't know when you hear people say new normal is that what you think or do you how do you what how do you think about it um i think that you're gonna have a really really hard time getting people to stop gathering 
being together. 100%. Well, we're extremely I social. I don't, I don't think that that's a realistic thing. I, I think that, I think it's a human nature. You know, it, it's just the way it is. Like, it, you know, you can, you already observe the world. People, I think that are at home right now, they're starting to realize, like, maybe they were like, man, I could really use a break. They've worked for 20 years. Now they're at home. They're like, and I'm not saying that anyone's lazy or that they're taking advantage of the situation. I'm just saying, like, I feel like they are starting to realize, like, how much, like, that they appreciated the balance. Because even though we were, a lot of us are out of balance anyway, maybe we were working too much, but you're going to one extreme to the other. Now you're not working at all, and you're realizing, like, it's not about working or not working. It's about, it's about both. It's about doing everything in your life within balance, you know? And that, and that, I think if people can truly see the contrast between those two extremes, it's almost like they'll find a recentering, you know, it's, it's like when you're studying, like you're writing an academic research journal, you know, if you do it the right way, using the scientific method, you're, you have to have a control. You have to have the test, the hypothesis, you have to you have to conduct the research, but you have to have a control, and the control just tests against whatever it is you're testing so that you can see what, or maybe you're trying to establish what a normal is, or like, you know, a, like trying to determine the standard deviation of something, you know, in statistics. And, and you just have to know, like, what it feels like on the other side, or what it is, what the data shows, in order to know what you're actually looking at. And I feel like that's what's happening to a lot of people. And I think that when people bounce back from this, I think we're going to have a greater appreciation for a lot of things. Um, and hopefully that does involve less, like, less greed and less selfishness. And a lot of things I see, I, I mean, I don't like to get too much into the polit political side of this, but, you know, it, it just, it harms me to see, like, huge, massive corporations, like, so like taking advantage of situations like this that that upsets me yeah i think uh i mean we are let's just say 300 years down the path of kind of this american experiment or almost 300 let's say 250 years um of essentially the freest capitalism i think that the world has ever known um and i think that it's created prosperity but now we're starting to see so, like some of the greed and some of the things that can happen i think that is what's gonna change or have to be reconsidered in this new normal and um let me just think about this for a second basically i think that everything's happening at once like this this whole like we're only as good as our ideas and this is actually kind of like rooted in some of terence mckenna's talkings like we talked about which is like the world is made of language meaning you can only overcome something that you can explain like if you can't verbalize a problem you're not going to be able to fix it so what I think of in when we're trying to re redesign capitalism to for this new normal, and as the internet slowly 
like creates this kind of uni more uniform culture and connects us in these ideas. Um, and so, and then if you even look at it from like a quantum physics realm, like now we're starting to confront all these paradoxes and all these like irrationalities that our previous conceptions can no longer like align with. It seems like we're in this perfect storm of kind of like a rapid redevelopment of potentially how we describe things. Like maybe maybe it's a linguistic thing that yeah. maybe we well, need. You know what it, so it sounds like to me? It's almost like, and this is going to get kind of technical, but like, mm -hmm. you know, if you're talking computer science, the, the silicon chips, you know, uh, you know, when it comes to moving electrons uh, through through uh, transistors, different kinds of gates, you know, whether it be the X or the OR gate, you know, whatever. You can only take things down to a level that's a certain small, you know, because you get this weird kind of quantum tunneling, quantum non-locality, all these different kind of effects. Well, the theory then goes that you have to find a new way. And it hasn't even been conceived, except for it has. Of course, you hear about quantum mechanics, and then you talk about the quantum computers. And then it's almost impossible to understand it unless you really, really think about it. And it's almost like you have to think about it and think about it and think about it. It's like trying to perceive the fourth dimension. <laughs> yeah. Now, and and yep. it is possible to perceive the fourth dimension, I promise. It's like one of those really abstract concepts. But then when you get it, you're like, oh, it, it, I guess the best way to describe it is it's like I spin the fire point and like before I'm like, how the hell do people do this? Like, how are they doing this? How are they making these patterns? And then when you get it, you're like, how is it I couldn't do that before? It seems yeah. so natural and easy. It's like once we transcend evolution, like, or once we transcend, especially when it comes to like the perceptions and that becomes the norm, it's almost like, how could we not perceive that before? It's almost like, can you perceive what's something that's super basic that we have now, but we didn't have a hundred years ago? You, you can perceive it now, but they'll never be able to understand it. They wouldn't. They would think it's magic. Even even biology. You could look at, like, how certain biological systems work. hundred years ago, they'd be like, that. well, it's just that way, you know? And now it's like, oh, well, there's signals being sent from chemically and electrically and, you know. Um, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you brought it to computer science because... I don't like I don't know how much I I love the reality of this but I think it is the reality of it that like um that technology plays a role in whatever the whatever the like next system is I think cuz we we just haven't like our language English only takes us so far and I think the only way we're going to come up with a new way to generate meaning like past language is probably some kind of algorithm or, or something more universal, I guess. Maybe. And yeah, I mean, if you truly understand, if you, well, you yeah, trust me when I, I guess you could say, cause what is it? Uh, um, many famous physicists say, and I don't exactly know the, remember the name of the one who mentioned this in particular, but, um, 
if you think you understand quantum mechanics, like you really don't understand. Like, oh, know? for sure. Um, and uh, I think it was Richard Feynman that said that. Um, but anyhow, and he actually did float, by the way. I have his book in the back. Nice. Um, in the float lounge. But um, he... Where is he from? I... Where did he, where, what, what school? He was a professor, uh, Dr. Richard Feynman. Uh, I think it was Princeton. I, I, I can't exactly remember at the moment. And you but, flew him out? What's the story behind that? You, how, no, no he, Richard Feynman has... Uh, rest his soul passed away many 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 decades ago but uh he was a famous physicist very very famous he created the Feynman diagrams helped people understand a little bit about how the quantum uh a little bit about quantum mechanics like you know he created these diagrams that explain like different uh you know the different interactions between particles um when you're looking at the quantum so he didn't he didn't float at float light though no no no. oh that's what i thought you were saying he actually floated um with the original inventor of the float tank, that was Dr. John Lilly. Yeah. Um, and I believe it was when he was doing his experimental tests uh, in California. It was a very unique time, as you could imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, so basically, you know, if you really, if you, if, you, if you research it enough and you start to understand how quanti- a quantum computer works and you have it in your mind, like, I feel like I understand it. Like, I do. I, I understand it. I get it. I wrap my head around it. I understand why it will work. It's, like, mind-blowing because you almost have to accept this alternative reality yeah. to truly perceive or have a, even a slight grasp about why it will work. And, and by the way, I really want a quantum computer. I, I really, really want one. Like, I, as soon as they're for sale, I think the D-Wave has them for, like, $10 million, which... You know, but I, I just want one. I think it'd be cool to have. I, I, yeah. I, you know, applications aren't like really that practical for me, but <laughs> I think uh, I think the idea of like perceiving it, like you're saying, I think it's perceivable from like a a vague conception level. But I think it's akin to like a cell trying to understand how like a human works. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the? Have you ever heard of Flatland? No, what's that? Okay, so Flatland is a book. This is actually, um, it's a way of understanding the levels of dimension. Okay. Imagine that we live in a two-dimensional world, right? Yep. Yeah. In a two-dimensional world, well, we don't we don't see in three dimensions. So if we were to see, let's say you were ahead of me, you would be just a line, right? <laughs> You'd be a line. I'd see, yep. you could look up or down. <laughs> You'd be a line or not left or right, whatever. If a three-dimensional object passed through our two-dimensional world, imagine it being a sphere, like a sphere passed through. You'd see a point. The point would turn into a circle, but you wouldn't actually see the circle. You would just see a line. So there's a point. The point would go across, and then it would slowly shrink back into a point again. We would have to, as scientists in our two-dimensional world, explain what that is if it just manifests itself into nowhere yeah into existence and that's what happens with quantum mechanics like there are things that happen that they just manifest into existence and it's i mean they do have a better understanding i'm not a physicist or anything i just love the topic and this is stuff that when i go into that flow tank i like meditate on it and i feel like i'm understanding things i feel like i could write the theory of everything after floating sometimes I know, I know I what you mean. Pen and paper, and then I get out. 
and I'm like, shit, I lost it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I lost everything. Yeah. So, so I'm That's like, okay, worst. well, I'll do it again. I'll do it again in the future. I know that when you floated, you actually are like, man, I have a pen and paper, and you get done, you'd be like writing down frantically, like, I got all these ideas. I got all these ideas. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, it's not as much as like it's not as much for me. Uh, it's not as much having like a hundred novel ideas. It's like my brain will in the silence and it's been this way more so in this quarantine than it has in regular life too. But when I float, it's like my brain's like, oh, that's an idea that's important to you right now. Or that's an idea that like um, could move the needle for you right now. And then it just goes through like step by step. And it's really just a question this any problem solving any learning any like making something better is just a process of asking better questions and that's okay. what floating's really good for is like um it's like well how would i get attention on it it's like well you could you know here here's the path well how would i start that branch it's like okay here's the path what's the first thing i have to do to get this person involved like okay uh, I have their phone number. Uh, it's it's it, if anybody who out there, and I, I mean, a logical mind understands. But like you're you're playing chess, you understand that you make a move before you actually make that move. You're like, well, what is that person going to do with that? If I move my piece one piece directly diagonal from that pawn, is he going to use that pawn to take that piece, or does that open up that channel for my rook to be able to take this piece? And then you think about one. You move your rook to take that piece. What piece they could move to take that piece? Right. What floating allows, I think, a lot of folks to do that, pe especially people that don't allow themselves the opportunity to think in that very complex, often logical approach, and even getting deeper into the layers, into the layers. And this is what Joe Rogan talks about with the layers: is it almost forces you to because what are you going to do? You're sitting there. You're like gone. And you're still conscious. That's what's different about floating. You're not actually sleeping. Like, you are, but you're not. You're, like, in a waking dream. You're, like, in a waking thought. And it's, like, the deepest thought you could ever imagine. And when you really prime yourself going into that tank and you focus on what it is you're trying to accomplish, you get amazing things done. I know for a fact that people that come to Float Light have written books or that, ha that were in the process of finishing a book or writing a book using the float tank to come up with concepts and ideas that came to float light. That's a fact. And I've had people tell me that I've had people tell me they've written songs because they use the float tank for this in art. Of course, that's a given. I've even had professionals who are doing business politicians. I've had athletes, people come here to use the tank for that deep meditation. And, and it's, it's so important to be able to experience that. And some people do it without the tank. Yeah, I mean, you don't necessarily have to have it, but it will definitely help you, especially- when, When's the last time you floated? I floated last week. Um, I think it was last, it was last Thursday. It was the day before we officially um, opened back up to the public. Jesse and I both floated. We floated at the same time. What are you, uh, did you guys, Megan always, Megan always talks about like being able to contact people while she's floating at the same time. Do you, did you and Jesse experience that kind of thing or no? Have I? So here's the thing. I think that, and this is probably true for other people too, because 
you have to have you have to have an intention. Like you're not going to. I mean, who are you going to contact? If you if you have no intention of contacting anyone inside the tank, are you really going to contact anyone? No, I mean. Megan always says she contacts people that she's floating with at the same time, like she saw them or something. I've heard, I, maybe she I used guess. to say that a lot that's, and she doesn't anymore. Yeah, so, so that's that's like some ESP extrasensory stuff that I don't personally have. Um, um, I think that Megan, Jesse sometimes says she feels the presence of others. I think some people are just like deeply empathic and they're just like their emotional core prevents them from eliminating the aspect of another physical human being being in any kind of vicinity or presence. Does that make sense? Like who they are as a person, they have to think about that other person because their empathic, their empathic self prevents them from letting that go complete. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that makes sense. And so when maybe they are floating, it's not that they're I mean, look, there's a lot of theories. I'm not going to disparage anyone's thought, especially if they have a belief that, that ESP and their extrasensual perceptions and all these different things, to them that might seem real. What, why should we, I mean, we could be skeptics and say they're just, we could be, we could try to go into this, uh, the psychological, the, you know, all these different realms, but let them be who they are. It just, it actually makes them who they are. They're the human, the human. Now I, and I'm a very logical individual. A lot of people that know me, they're like, I'm, I, I do struggle like with the emotional side of things a lot of the time. So I look at things logically and, and, um, and that can sometimes make, put me in an awkward position where if somebody expresses something emotionally to me, I don't respond the way that they would expect a person to respond sometimes. And I have to, and I'm not going to engineer that like in some strange way, cause that would make me awkward. <laughs> so so we all we all are individuals. We're set out to do what we do. But I'll tell you, the flow tank helps me with that, though, because that's when I really get deep. I feel like almost a lot of the emotional things that I deal with in my life are stored away in a subconscious level, and it does take that experience, or at least deep, deep thought meditation, to be able to unlock a lot of that. What's actually occurring deep at that? Is that, that is that mostly what you do with floating? Is that no. mostly how you interface, or do you do you normally go down yeah. paths? Okay, of so when I uh, when I float, well, so sometimes I get I, I, I kind of psych myself out because I've had like floats where things have you went insane, like they were just insane, crazy, like I was tripping out, like <laughs> I can't even explain it to you, man. Like I, I I felt like all of the senses, like my especially my spatial relation, like I almost felt like I was. And it wasn't dizzy feeling. It was like I was going down. I was falling. And and that sensation overcame me. And and that's when visuals, like like very vivid visuals started to take hold. And I try sometimes to get back to that state because I'm like, what is it going to take for me to replicate that profound experience inside the tank? But just the thought of having to think about the thought of doing something prevents you from doing that thing. You know what I'm saying? Yep. It, floating, you can't you can't go into the tank like I am going to experience this, and that's sometimes what people do. Like they'll go into the float tank and they'll be like, "I'm going to do what Joe Rogan told me that that I don't need to take any drugs. I can substitute all drugs for the float tank. Uh, you know, my that's my hallucinogenic experience, and it doesn't happen for them." 
but they gain something else out of it. In fact, that's actually why they find themselves here. They realize that the flow tank was actually there for them. They needed it, you know? And, and part of the reason why they were looking for that escape in the first place, and usually it has a lot to do with like drug addictions and other things like this, like people, they, they resort to things that take them out of their reality, but then the float tanks makes them face that truth, that reality right in front of them, and it allows them to transcend and accept it and move on. And sometimes they find themselves back in the tank in that state. Sometimes it takes them some time. Yeah. I mean, there are people that use it, and that's all they needed. I'm not going to, you know, they don't need to come back and float multiple times, but that was what they needed. That's what they got out of it, and that was good. I think in the traditional sense of the word psychedelic, like as mind manifest, it is kind of a tool floating is that is basically people come to it with the ex expectation of, you know, with an, usually with an expectation. And what I've noticed, I floated, I think five times and how I always describe it or to someone who floats for the first or second or third time, I always say, every time I go, I have an expectation, like you said, like, I think it's gonna be visual or I think I'm gonna hear a harmony that I'm gonna be able to hum or something, you know, tangible and, and interesting like that. And then I'm always like, oh yeah, like, why did I have an expectation? Because it's never like that. It's never like how you want it to be. It's but crazy, it, it's like the random things. I, like. Like I usually, I think it's it's kind of a trope in my life. Not because I say this way too much, but I heard an ice cream truck once, man. And I swear to God, I was, I was thinking like, what is that? Like, there's got to be a problem. Like that ice cream truck. And I'm thinking to myself, like, and then you realize it. You're like, no, I know for a fact that that was an experience. That was an auditory hallucination, because I know damn well the feeling of coming out of the float. And that's exactly what I felt at that time. And I'm like, yep, that was that. was that. And there's no way an ice cream truck could be in the building. But my mind went so deep into that place that I actually thought about thinking about being bothered by hearing this sound in a float tank that I'm floating in, but I could not perceive myself actually floating. Does that make sense? It's like so deep, it's so crazy that I, it's like at another level, like you're at a level of being perceived, or you're perceiving yourself doing something, but you don't actually feel yourself doing that thing. It's like you're the observer observing yourself. Yeah. It's, 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 it's just crazy. This is another level. It's observe. Yeah. But it's also, it also feels real. That's the key to it. It does, it does, it does. And I think that's why, yeah. And I, don't, I guess I don't know what it means, but it's interesting how when you transcend the normal state of observation or like the physical limitations, I guess, of the human experience, um, AKA our bodies, like that, that's one observational plane, but it's weird that we can experience the next one up whether it's temporarily or however you, whether it's induced through meditation, near death experience, um, you know, spiritual experience, psychedelics, whatever. It's fascinating that we can have that next level observer experience. And then not only that we can have it, but that it provides so much insight to like our dimension 
like the human experience like why does that why does that crazy level of layers that you just described of you observing yourself observing a phenomenon in the tank like why does that also potentially provide you insight on ice cream trucks maybe i don't know <laughs> you know but like sometimes yeah. those things are profound sometimes those ideas become entire branches of science sometimes those ideas become the 3d structure of dna sometimes those ideas and like experiences become the apple iphone you know what i mean and those are well, real, real examples I, I was thinking about this problem i have a green screen that's hanging in the back room and I'm trying to, I'm trying to find a, a, I'm trying to figure out or engineer a solution to create this like pulley system. And I, and I was like, I was thinking to myself like how I could engineer the pieces of wood that that are up there not to bend and buckle. And I'm just like, I came up with this whole. And and I know you're gonna think like, yeah, okay, John, whatever. But I came up with this schematic in my head. And that, I mean, does not is that not what other people do? But it was like a schematic. It was a plan. I set out a plan. I I executed the plan, and it's done. I'm thinking, well, at what level can that be the same? Like, if mm. you think about, like, you know, a lot of people say Albert Einstein came up with the theory of relativity sitting in a train. He was just thinking about being a light, a light beam and, and a light uh, a photon, a light particle. And that's how he came up with it, because he's like, well, what if I what if I shined a light, I shined a flashlight ahead of me or like right where, you know, shined a flashlight while I was traveling the speed of light? And the concept was so profound that he had to come up with this like schematic in his head that it's still confusing for most people to understand why why it works. Light is what it is. Like it's one so, so your question though is why can't the thought just become the thing, right? Like at what point does simply observing the schematic created in real life is that the question like if you're if you're asking me if i believe in manifesting like reality through thought that i don't i do not believe that that is how things work <laughs> um i think no, that, for is, sure. that is a thought process that is left for people that i i think don't quite understand quantum mechanics or they misinterpret it um what i'm saying is is why are thoughts not as real as what we perceive to be real I mean, they, they are existing. And when you get into that, and I, and I say this because when I'm in that float tank and you just said it yourself, it, it does feel real. Like, like it's, it's like, and I think I, I say this a lot too, like inception, you know, there's those, in the movie inception, there's the monks that are meditating and they choose to be in that, that state because time is like immensely slower in this like meditative sleep state that they induce you know it's uh the inception the dream state like a dream within a dream and if you get caught too deep you'll like go to that lower level where you never can get out or whatever because you you exponentially multiply the amount of time that your brain is perceiving um and um somehow it feels real it, it, it is a strange strange thing but you know it's it's something that you know, so I, I, there's no explanation, bro. Yeah. So this, so to kind of turn the ship a little bit, um, I was introduced to this idea right at the beginning of the quarantine, uh, like early March or mid March or whatever. 
Um, and basically, I think the guy's name is Zarin something. And his idea is like basically that we need to come up with a new model for how social media works, like a business model, because the basically the idea is we are the product right like on facebook on on youtube on whatever because it's free like our attention is the product and it leads to um essentially manipulation um basically it gives advertisers a door to to manipulate your perception on what you think you want or need or how you should act and behave uh i think he called it behavior manipulation or behavior modification and um his his thing is basically because um he actually started some of the the first vr technology and he's like a silicon valley guy and his thing was like the dream of silicon valley was to create uh was almost this like buddhist entrepreneur venture where it was like we're going to create something that saves the world and makes the world a better place and also makes us billions of dollars and the problem came when it got entangled with economics um because it needed a model um to make money but his idea is we can try a bunch of different things basically he's like you could do microtransactions where you pay a penny for every google search you do but if it means that we're not being manipulated and surveyed and having all this data generated off of us um that it's worth it and his other thing and this is the more important thing was that we are generating value for these companies. We are generating value for Google. We are generating real dollars for Facebook by simply by putting content into the ecosystem. And we're not really getting paid for that content. Some people are, there's a percentage of people that are businesses that are making money, but as a whole, like your contributions are not being paid for and that creates this like long term it creates a, a wealth gap um yeah, so I mean, whoever controls the content i guess is, they say is king like when i say control the content like control the server like the place that's being uploaded all the infrastructure for that and then who they can manipulate to get that content on in front of other people but for me this is the way i look at it man I'm using the platform. It's giving me a place to be real. I don't come on to these shows. I mean, it doesn't even matter. And, and I, I don't even think I'm capable of it. I have way too like ADHD, just constantly thinking ridiculousness. I'm, I am me and everything around me is also part of us. You know what I'm saying? I'm just real. You meet me in person, you meet me here, I'm like the same. You know, it might be in different contexts, but you get a chance to meet me for real. I love the internet. I really do. I'm a huge advocate of technology. You know? Yeah. I, I love I just love it and, and I know that I know that we're generating content for free. Um I guess I didn't really let you completely finish. No, no, no. So exactly. That's okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to address that. 
and maybe hopefully clarify some things and then I'm gonna try and bring it into like a concept, I guess, or just a, something to consider. But to address that, it's, it's not that there's a but, it's the internet is great, we should have social media, it's a better way of communicating, but if we found a way to flip it where we either, where maybe content generators get paid by the system in more of maybe like a public utility fashion, now you have that same genuine uh, interaction that you were talking about. We're putting out content for free, and that's beautiful. It's not that that's it's not that that's the problem, because we want to share ideas that are um, you know un unwavering. We don't want our ideas to be filtered through economics or filtered through some cultural lines that we can't cross. Although. Obviously, there are some and there will always be some. But the point is, is if the whole system was less of an economic, if, if it just got flipped, it wouldn't generate as much economics for Mark Zuckerberg. But it would it would mean that that purity of that free content you're putting out would be even more pure. It would be even less manipulated by the essentially economic expectation of um of the platform because that's built into the platform every third post has an economic right. well, it, and you could so the thing is is we don't get to see the algorithm like everyone talks about this algorithm but it's really like they're talking about something that they know nothing about an algorithm can be anything it can be somebody saying if these words get discussed in this video, this video will be seen this percentage of time. It's not like an algorithm is some dude that wrote this like two sentence long equation that essentially dictates the entire content distribution network, you know? Yeah. It's a complicated thing. There's real human beings involved in making decisions of what it is. And do you call that an algorithm? The real human beings making decisions? That's more of a conscious decision-making thing rather than an algorithm. And I guarantee you with 100% certainty, and I don't even feel like they have to say anything. There's no law that says they have to tell you whether or not somebody's flipping a switch to display something or not. Of course, they're displaying content that has money behind it. That's just a fact, and we know that because you can spend money on Google AdWords or, or Google Display Ads to be able to boost your videos or whatever, you know. And same with with YouTube or with Facebook. So, yeah. I so I guess no, I, I agree, and I think I, I was just throwing that out there as in like to show the potential. Um, to set up the foundation for this guy's ideas. So to take it one step further, um, basically what he says is that algorithm that you described, that like a human essentially developed that algorithm, um, that algorithm only thrives and becomes valuable because of the human input. So his example is Google Translate. So Google Translate is seems it's literally an AI. It's an artificial intelligence. It's a machine learning, but it was designed by humans to take the input of millions of humans, all their dialogue, all their, you know, to take like a book from English to, 
to Dutch and Dutch to English, and they can take a million of those books and they can start to say, okay, this phrase means this in English, roughly. This phrase means this in Dutch, roughly. That's how Google Translate is built. But his point is those millions of people that participated to make that AI, which which is essentially sold as a technology, but it's really only valuable because of the human system it's built on. Um, all those millions of people that it's built on were not compensated for that. And that's where the wealth gap occurs. And I don't have um, an immediate solution for it, but I think it's interesting to think about... Um, I guess for everyone to have that as a framework in their mind as we enter this like technology age where we start to face these questions about um, automation, universal basic income, wealth redistribution, rethinking capitalism. Like I just, I think it's important to know that the technology that we're building only creates value when it's relevant to humans. Which I think is also a silver lining. When humans interact with it and it becomes something that humans value, I mean, obviously. Exactly. Exactly. There's a lot of different, I mean, there's a a theoretical construct to to anything of any value, you know, like I've heard a lot of really, really good arguments and points. I think it's it's a good point. Like, should I think that what you're trying to say is he's saying that content creators are putting out content for free and they should be that should be like a new norm where they're being essentially paid only the ones who are receiving the at the end of the day they should only be compensated when that content is also being used to generate some next level of value that is kind of being monopolized at this point because like I, i feel like that would be so hard to implement But so his example is kind of it's like it comes down to kind of union type stuff. It's the same intellectual property type thought as like the Screen Actors Guild get together and start to strike like, well, I don't think that we we should agree that we're going to or we're not going to continue to create this content (laughs) for your platform if you don't compensate us. Like, I don't think. I don't think that would be the way to do it. It would have to be like a, like someone would either have to build a more pure social network or the government would have to decide that like it's going to be a public utility and then they would have to agree also not to. I do not agree with that. I I don't think it would be a good thing if it was a public utility, man. You, you don't, you know, the problem with the government is, is, is I, you know, and it's not that I, I fear it, but like anyone can decide then at that point. I mean, we, we have the right to say what we want, the freedom of speech, the absolute so it, it, saying anything we want. And even if it's illegal, we can still say it and the platform allows us to say it. Not so really, though. Not really, though, because there are certain things that get um, silenced. There are certain things that get yeah it doesn't get pushed it doesn't get pushed to the front of the platform so that's that's when you start that's like the, that's it, the problem that's that's what i'm trying to say there's human beings behind this so-called algorithm these human beings have emotion they have the right to 
or they have the ability to say, I don't like this. They could not like puppies and really like cats. And if somebody says something about a puppy, they're going to say, well, I don't want that content to go to the front. Of the here's camera. the thing. Here's the thing that flips everything. So I, I see where you're going from because I know you're not for big government either. I'm not either. I don't trust. I really don't trust the government as a whole. And like, I don't think they're a great solution for much of anything. But what I'm saying, I guess what I'm saying is, is the way it's going right now with like a few monopolies and now the government's essentially like the government, there's, I mean, there's things out there that like Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook has done experiments with the Department of Defense and like, so it's like, that's fascism when you have one giant corporation that just like, rather than the government just taking it over, the government takes it over you know from the back door and they just work together like that's fascism but like the the real genuine thing that would be the better thing and we'd have to change our mind on this and which is why it needs way more conversation and um you know the the details need to be worked out which is why i'm highlighting his idea because i think it's good is the solution could be a ten dollar a year subscription that all 2 billion people that use social media as use for a, a non-intrusive manipulative version of Facebook. Would it be a privately owned platform? It could be. I mean, that's probably the most safe way, I guess, or the most so, so you could, you valuable way. It's true, but like at, at, at all fundamental levels, people distrust even the thing that might be trusted eventually they just do right but at the same time we trust it enough to use it you know yeah yeah yeah. people so, trust facebook enough to use it but they, they trust it it's funny because so many people say they don't the if you surveyed yeah. people i bet you nearly half would say they don't trust facebook but yet yeah. everyone still uses it still use it so the semantic, I guess the decision of like, well, would it be a company that Elon Musk starts or would it be? Well, why, why should anyone trust Elon Musk? Exactly. But what I'm saying is that arguments are relevant because people at the end of the day, they say they care. They don't. I, uh, my brother got a Tesla. Yeah. And I got to drive it. it <laughs> I feel like you've told me this before. <laughs> it, it self drove itself around a corner. It was, it was mind blowing. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, Sorry, I, I just had to tell you that. No, it's cool. I'm not envious of my brother's Tesla. Yeah, you are. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I, I just love that car. I think it's amazing. Yeah. But yeah, no, but seriously, I, I mean, I, I get it. I think that having, it's almost like the social media that you can trust. But, you know, you, you had like, you know, all these news stations. It's like, this is the network that you can trust. And they all say that. That's yeah. all their imperatives. And it's like, you can't trust anyone. You right. cannot trust any, like everything online is inherently capable of being corrupted. It's it's just the nature of the internet. What's human nature? <laughs> right. I mean, you, there is no fundamental way of knowing any truth about anything, except for they say that there are like fundamental laws and you could objectively verify truth. Yeah. But I think, I think even in those, thing, you yeah, know? 
even in those objective truths, there's like layers or like waves going through it of like irrationality, like just Absolutely. things that are completely it's irrational. Just, you know, like people might be listening to this like, what? Yeah, how right. Do you, how do you claim that an objective truth has irrationality? Because, because at, at all fundamental levels, you can break down things into these microscopic levels where it becomes irrational, everything. Yeah, well, basically there's like, in other words, all of reality is an irrational number. It's just layers of meaning. Like there's a layer of meaning and then like that layer of meaning, like say we're, our conversation is a layer of meaning. If these words hit your ear and you kind of understand what we're saying, there's a layer of meaning. So then the next step down is like biology. Like you're not controlling it, but you can explain it. And it, it creates, it creates meaning like a heart pumping creates a circular system like that's meaning because it generates a human but when you really look at it it's like why is that you know why is that blood cell replicating itself so then you get down in the cellular level but it's all these layers of like okay when you really look at it this doesn't make sense okay let's go a little further down okay that doesn't really make sense okay go a little further down um, what I think is fascinating is that you said this earlier, John, like perceiving the fourth dimension, like when you're, when you're conceptualizing these, these deep thoughts, whether you're floating, whether you're just chilling and you're trying to perceive the fourth dimension, like whatever level of meaning is either being generated on the next dimension above human experience or will come is going to be, I believe is going to be based on the same irrational things that we value, which is like reproduction and survival, <laughs> which is fat. Like I, to me, that's fascinating. Okay. So I, I go, let me just wrap my head around this. So you're yeah. saying once we, once we perceive the next layer, I'm not sure it'll be us as humans though. Cause well, I'm not sure I, we can I say us. And I guess intelligence, one intelligence, takes another level up yeah okay I, I get it like when the when the thing that cannot be described experiences the next level in that like the dimension like let's say there is a perception of the fourth dimension at its fundamental level it would be as simple as only understanding the fundamental core drives or traits of survival of the dimension below it of the well yeah 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 totally man you got it should write that because that's that's good you could probably make a whole paper about it dude i spent like three hours writing that last night that's that's a good i like that it's a good theory i like it it's well like rooted in, in logic and it has a lot of like philosophical concepts that could be like disseminated into something truly deep but i feel like it's got to be out there Everyone said everything, no. Well, so I thought about this. Literally, I'm not kidding. I actually thought about what I just said last night. Um, and it took me like three hours to like wrap my head around it in a way that was even semi-languageable. I thought about this last night? Oh my God. Um, so... You, you didn't, your brain didn't explode yet? <laughs> but the, but the, the only way that saying something that like abstract it brings value is when a question comes out of it that we can like set our compass to 
you know what I mean? So like you can, you can say that artistic thing that basically whatever, you know, each dimension or foundation is built on the, the drives or the irrationalities of the dimension below it. But like, what does that mean for us? And like, I don't know. That's what I'm interested in is like, yeah. So, so when, when you look at value, like what, what is valuable, what, what is considered value? Like value can be value can be perceived in multiple ways. Like does the actual words that you're saying that come into my brain, make my brain feel physically tingly. Yeah. That sensation. Like I've, like I've just went on this trip into an otherworldly dimension or do I feel like I'm gaining some inherent knowledge in for me, even though others might look at this conversation and be like, there are a bunch of crazy people. <laughs> they don't have degrees. Do we feel like we're gaining value or is value inherently have to be spread across all of what you would consider intelligence in order to be considered in, interestingly enough it almost has to like it almost has to collaborate like an idea has to collaborate across disciplines like for it to generate value because like if us if a philosophical idea doesn't generate like doesn't lead to scientific implications what's the value of that philosophical idea and if a scientific idea doesn't lead to philosophical or biological implementations, what's the point in pursuing that idea? It's almost like to create value, you have to find something in your discipline that like leads to implications in others. Yeah, and you see that in academia all the time. It's, it was amazing, you know, when you when you're studying and you start especially when you're in the traditional college setting and you start seeing things from other things that you're studying at the same time, like making relations and you're almost asking yourself, are you sure you didn't talk to my other professor about this? Like you guys are talking about the exact same thing at the same, same time. And that, that probably happens to every student at least once in their academic career. Um, but that, 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 that consensus is how the scientific method works. You know, it's, it's part of that rigorous process, you know? It almost feels like that's how cultural, like, evolution works, too, though. It's like ideas hit the mainstream, like the collective consciousness, as they call it. And everybody's, like, thinking about similar problems through their own disciplinary lens at the same time. What do you, what do you call a meme? Yeah. No, I, I actually, I love the idea of the meme because... I love it so much because I didn't know what it meant. And I think most people don't like explain what a meme really is. Like it's not a picture on the internet. Yeah. So it's not a picture on the internet and it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't have to, re it doesn't have to be words. It doesn't have to be anything spoken. It, it really represents something in an abstract way. It's something that, that, that at any given level, a system can take and somehow continues to propel it. Like it drives it, it like, it just goes, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, let me, so for people listening. That's probably not the best way to describe it, but that's how I, yeah. I mean. No, memes, so that's an abstraction. That there's memes and like, it doesn't have to be anything that is necessarily intelligence, I don't think anyway. No. I be wrong. You might wanna look up that definition, so I don't wanna misquote that, but. No, for people listening, a meme is the smallest unit of of an idea it's essentially like if you can boil down an idea to its smallest unit 
that's that's the meme so like that's why that's why a visual image uh, with a caption is really delivering to you an entire idea and that's why they call it a meme that's why images on the internet are memes or not all images but yeah and it's uh terrence mckenna's brother what i can't remember dennis yeah dennis mckenna he talks about memes all the time i would say he's probably the leading foremost s expert on memes because the way he talks about them he really wraps his mind around it he really gets you to understand it but yeah, it, it, that that is like something where does it necessarily have to be a consensus? I mean, that is a consensus, but does everyone cons- you know? It's it's almost like some of the most ridiculous stuff can come as a result. Some very philosophical, conceptual things. Some that people will outright just disregard as truth, especially if you have very deeply rooted beliefs or in religion or other factors like that. Are you saying? Are you saying in the in the realm of like competing memes, like in yeah. culture? I mean, it's not that they have to compete. It's just like if this meme represents something, okay, and then do you have to have an absolute overall consensus about the meaning behind it, or or the or the construct of what it actually represents? Like you know, and then in that regard, you don't necessarily need an overall consensus. It's almost like the people that. I mean, I'm probably getting, I'm probably getting into the more, I'm trying to compare like the concept of a meme in its actual sense to the concept of a meme, like what people probably represent or probably perceive a meme to be. And that's like that image of, of the dude online. That's like, you know, are you just trying to describe to people more so like the difference, the difference between what a meme meant scientifically they're like versus what it's become to mean culturally, like through internet culture? Yeah, okay. yeah pretty much. Okay. I, I think it, I kind of failed at that. That's all right, though. That's all right. Um, cool, man. Well, it's complicating. Well, complexifying, definitely. Hell yeah. So, but that's I think... Alchemical. That's why I'm the alchemical... What did I say? Alchemical... Transmutist. <laughs> Oh, yeah, alchemical transmutist of what life? <laughs> yep. Um, no, I, I really do think that um, leading up to this, people have been more open to, um, I guess, psychedelic or abstract ideas than ever before. And it was, it was, it still is, was really permuting or permutating through different you know through sciences and through um economies and and now the question now we're kind of faced with but i don't know are we really faced with the question like we will go back to normal in like a year but will we will it change will we adapt these things i don't know i think it's it's got to be a slow process like i think i think that like like you were saying, I think there's going to be, I think there's going to be people that 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 don't necessarily come out of this. I mean, there's a given. Everyone's going to come out of this different, and whether that means you survived or you didn't survive, and you know, not not to say like physically living. I mean, like survive your your current status quo, your current level of normality. Like everyone's well being, I guess. World yeah, maybe well being, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that either. You might still be well, regardless of how you went into it or without it, but just 
changing like what's what's the status of the environment the capabilities of the world like you know how things evolve um i'm just i'm just i just think that people like myself uh, we're just riding a big wave like we're just gonna continue to ride it you know yeah you know what you know what's crazy evan what so daniel yeah he, he played Fortnite. okay play it or uh, plays no he plays it he, he plays it he doesn't actually play it he tells me about this 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 game and there's a philosophical notion to the game Fortnite. it's not just a game the game has evolved now and, and these these publishers are so brilliant the epic games they make they print money bro <laughs> they print money because people just buy stuff on this game this stuff doesn't actually do anything it's all cosmetic but last night daniel was telling me about a, a concert that they had in the game that he attended and <laughs> Oh my god you're kidding and he's like yeah it was a rapper he put out an album he had a concert in the game and daniel shows me this youtube video and he's like man you should have been there and i'm thinking to myself well, you <laughs> used the word there yeah well, you used the word there you're starting to believe this world and and it was like an interactive thing like you're a guy in this game and there's this rapper he's this giant rapper dude walking around he's rapping and like you're a video game character and he and daniel was like with his cousin cabrillo talking through playstation and i'm thinking to myself like this is the this is the precipice of this evolution to a digital reality like yeah that's a concert and if you really start and the reason i bring this up now is because if the world is changing and what is the safest way to do it it's in the digital revolution because we're sitting right in front of a camera right now talking yep. <laughs> to the people and we're talking to each other looking at your screen looking at me looking at my screen looking at you and maybe the question itself is staring us literally right in the face Yep. It's what's happening right now. Cameras on cameras on people's faces. People in video games attending concerts. But it's the generation. It's the generation that, of that meaning. Social gathering. Eventually, it's going to be. It's not going to be current events right now. It's going to be. There's a computer virus that's preventing social. That makes social. Yeah. I mean, think about the concept of that. How how can that really be? Because you think about computers, you're like, that doesn't really how it works. But like, is it me logging into this server? Well, yeah, technically, if your computer makes contact with that server, maybe that server becomes susceptible to that virus. And in the sense of the world, maybe me tapping into the Zoom network and you coming on to Zoom, maybe because we're on the same local server together, I give you my computer virus. Now we need to social distance on Zoom. So how do we stay five feet apart? Well, maybe it's not that. <laughs> Yeah, my my little screen on the corner is too close to yours, you know. So if I put my hand up here, I don't know how you have it laid out, but like, am I touching you now? You know? Nope. <laughs> like, what's five feet, right? Yeah. So interesting. Interestingly enough, there's like there's two there's a duality there. There's the Daniel per perception, which is you should have been there like that's the prelude into like a more integrated virtual reality 
system. And then there's going to be people who resist that. So on the, like, I don't know if this makes sense, but this is part of what I was thinking about last night. Um, deeper into that idea of that lower dimension thought process, which is on the cell level, like if you think of a cell as an individual organism, because there's bacteria in their cells, you have bacteria, which are basically the group that decided we're not going to link up and create something bigger. Cells, cells are basically bacteria that decided we're going to link up and make something bigger. You know what I mean? They're like, we're going to build. Is your audio off? No, it shouldn't. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So they're like, uh, yeah, we're going to link up, make something bigger. And then they generated brains. They generated humans and rats and plants and whatever. And bacteria were the ego beings that are like, no, we got to stay separate. You know what I mean? Like we're going to stay down here. And like, it's just interesting because there's the people who resist like the virtual reality and like what you said, these, these cameras staring us right in the face could be that undoing. It could be the next step. It could be like what's coming, the, the higher level of, of organization or meaning. Um, but it's impossible. The beauty of it is it's impossible to tell who's right and who's wrong because there's still cells and there's still bacteria. So like, like the, it, maybe the Daniels go and integrate with virtual reality in five years and the singularity and the, the collective data that the Daniels of the world generate create a higher dimensional meaning. And maybe we're still stuck down here but maybe that higher, higher meaning. That means that the physical body, the mind, we, we don't transcend. <laughs> Whatever we create gets sent down to be into the higher level intelligence while we sit back here like, man, we were left behind. We're the bacteria. Exactly. So yeah, there's... I, no, I get it. That's, that's crazy, bro. There's crazy. no real... But like, that's why it's impossible to say like which is right and which is wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, it's crazy. Cause you know what, I, I gotta, I gotta say something that's funny. While while we were doing this live stream, Evan started the live stream, front and center, and his camera has slowly deteriorated to the bottom left hand corner of the screen. It just makes me laugh because I'm just like, dude, what? The- Oh, on Zoom. Oh, both. Uh, see, you got so relaxed. You were like, "Man, I'm just gonna lounge back," and eventually, you're like in the bottom left-hand corner. That's hilarious. Eventually, so, you would just disappear. You wouldn't even be on the screen. They'd be looking at a picture of a map behind you, like, "Dude, where's the guy that's talking?" You, you like, there's, there's like, there's like 100% screen real estate he could be taking, but he's only taking nine, like 10% of that nine of the hundred. So it's like, wow. I have, I have two cameras going, John. The one that they see is a different one, and then I'm on the Zoom call. I'm using a different. So in my actual camera, I'm pretty centered, but on Zoom, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like sleeping on Zoom. Or now people are like, what is he talking about? Because Evan seems to be pretty straightforward. <laughs> you can see the Zoom camera too. It's just really small. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. I'm using a desktop version of Zoom. 
I, I don't know if you got the notification, but I'm on my phone, and before we go, I wanted to see if it'd be okay. Yeah. If I just, if I if I switch over to my phone cam, which would be like the mobile cam, and I just give people a quick tour of the float center. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. I think you have to accept it, though. I have to. Please wait. The meeting. Hopes. Oh. Yeah. I'm gonna keep working on those ideas, BT Dubs. Good. Crazy. Crazy time. There you go. Okay. I'm gonna cut. You can you can turn off probably the main screen. That's, I'm gonna move over to this one now. Um, I would. I'm just gonna. So before I go from this live stream, I just wanted to give everyone a real quick update with Float Light. Can you hear me, Evan? Yeah, you're good. Cool. So when you come to Float Light, you're actually going to see, just so everyone knows we're safe. Documentation, this door will be unlocked. You come here, fill out a form, use some hand sanitizer, and you ring the button, and then we open the door for you, which is normally locked. The entire facility is kept completely clean. But just in case any of you are wondering what an actual float tank is, I'm going to take you on a quick tour of the facility. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to see the tank. Hey, Megan. Hey, which room is open right now? You little technical difficulty at least on my end which means on everybody's end float lights in downtown appleton um they're about to walk into the float lounge where they and then around the corner there they have three okay you just got back on you can see me bro yeah you were off for a minute but you're back oh cool so we're just showing folks what the cabins look like what the suite looks like so that way they have some context most people are used to seeing this one seriously friends I, I highly recommend it it's uh, yeah. very therapeutic we're here for you during this event or during the state of the world and We'd love to have you as a guest. Awesome. Thanks, John. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, I, feel like my, I feel like our conversation broke my brain. But <laughs> well, okay, man. The key takeaways, I think, are basically mindset and to become as valuable, to become almost irremovable where you're so valuable, you're more valuable to the system or the environment you're in than if you weren't a part of it. And if you can generate that in your family, if you can generate that for your business or for your community, um, the world will be a better place. Without a doubt, brother.
Awesome. Thanks, John. If you need us, float line. Thank you again, Evan, for having me on. Thanks for joining me, man. I'm glad we uh, we were able to get crazy. And my camera went out, so perfect time. I'm going to cut it. All right. Later. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It truly means a lot to me. 